It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. This episode happens to come out on my birthday, and I thought I would use this as an opportunity to explore ageism, because I feel like birthdays bring up a lot of emotions for us, and every year it's a little different for me. Before I get into some of my thoughts, a lot of people like to ask about what you're doing on your birthday. I have no idea. I'm recording this on March 13th, so my birthday is... Just over a week away, and I have no plans. My experience for the past couple years has been a bit tainted because of COVID. Actually, my birthday in 2020 was just a few days after the lockdown started in Los Angeles. And so, oh, you know what I did? I'm pretty sure I had an amusing experience that year, which was going to Starbucks to redeem their free drink offer. Some people get really into all that stuff. I haven't taken advantage of a ton, but maybe I'll do that this year. That sounds kind of fun. I like getting like free perks on my birthday. I think it was in 2020 that I wanted to see how I could push the limits of Starbucks or just like a free birthday thing. And I went and I ordered an espresso with 12 shots because that was the most you could order. And at Starbucks, you can get any drink on your birthday, or at least you could back then. And I just thought, okay, let's see how many shots of espresso I can get for free. And I went through the drive-thru. This is why I think it was 2020. And I felt kind of embarrassed and bad for the baristas because I'm like, is it a lot of work for them to do it? But I thought it was my birthday, so I would be a little selfish. (laughs) Sounds so weird to say. Anyways, they didn't make a big deal out of it. But the guy that handed me the espresso was like, wow, are you staying up really late or something tonight. And I took this the drink home and I put it in the refrigerator and measured out espresso shots for like a week. (laughs) And I made a video of it, but I was too embarrassed to post it. I thought people would be kind of mean. So I never shared that. This is the first time I think I publicly shared it. Anyways, I don't remember if I did anything last year. I haven't had a super memorable birthday since COVID. And this year, the mask mandates were just lifted in LA. It feels like things are really a little bit calm for a bit, but I tend to be more cautious around COVID, so I don't really trust the calm. And thus, I don't plan to do anything big, but I would like to do something. Anyways, I'll share with you if I do anything exciting for my birthday. It'll probably be just a meal with a loved one and maybe something outside because sadly I do not spend that much time outside these days. In I think 2019, I had a really good birthday. I went to Santa Barbara and spent the whole day going to some cool restaurants and taking a walk along the beach with Evie at this really cool dog beach. That was probably the last really good birthday I can remember. But in general, I'm not a big celebrator I don't like to draw a lot of attention to it. I like feeling special. I like getting gifts. That to me would probably be the best thing, like getting some gifts. 
<laughs> I wrote a list up of ideal things to send to my family in case they wanted to splurge a little for my birthday. But some things on my birthday list are an Oculus, which is a big splurge. It's about $300. So my sister tends to be very generous. She doesn't even ask me about my birthday, but that's probably what I would ask for her just to see if she would get it for me. My parents and my sister often give me gift cards for birthdays and Christmas. And then I would say my top birthday gift right now is a ledger, what they call a cold storage device. A hard wallet is another term for cryptocurrency. I don't have one of those yet. They're about $70, I think. And I thought, wait and see if anyone gets it for me on my birthday, or maybe I'll treat myself and buy it for myself on my birthday. And I forget what else is on that list. Oh, this other really big splurge. This would actually be kind of a timely gift. What is it called? Jackery makes these big like generators that you can bring on camping trips or use it. The power goes out. And I've started to become a little bit more mindful of like survival prepping. I don't know if you listened to the episode I did with Clint Emerson. It's a really good one. And I've been thinking more about it due to everything that's going on in the Ukraine right now. And anyways... I mostly want a Jackery for my car road trips and you can like plug in any power to it. And they also have this solar power generator so you can charge it from the sun, which I think is really cool. And that, the one that I want is about $500 for the kit. So I've just been planning to get it for myself. I've been waiting for that to go on sale. But anyways, those are some of the gifts. You know, some people like to hear, what do you want for your birthday? Other than that, I think going to meals tends to be really nice. I like it when friends offer to take me out for my birthday, but it's just been a little weird and different during COVID. I do like getting happy birthday messages, but those tend to really overwhelm me. They trigger me to feel like I have to respond to everybody. I think I've started like I might have even taken my birthday off my personal Facebook page just because I didn't want to have to deal with the bombardment. But I simultaneously feel sad if people don't wish me happy birthday. So if I feel like I can read all the messages without pressure to respond, then that feels good because it's like being acknowledged. But also, I don't want to spend my birthday replying to every text messages, direct message, email, Facebook message. It's just a little too much. Be nice if there was like some tool where everybody could leave messages in one place, but there was like, if someone was going to develop a new technology for birthdays, wouldn't that be kind of fun? It's like an app where everybody can post in one place. You can get all your messages, but there's no way for you to respond to that. And thus nobody leaving messages expects a response. That's like introvert stream, I suppose. But what I really want to talk about today is ageism, because that comes up a lot. A lot of people will ask, how old are you? And I don't like talking about my age. I'm not ashamed of my age. I feel pretty neutral about it. But what I don't feel good about is people putting me into a category, making assumptions about me based on my age. So I started to really avoid talking about age. I don't usually share my birth year anywhere publicly. I'm sure you could piece together approximately how old I am based on some episodes. I know that I've mentioned like approximately when I went to school, for example. So if you really wanted to know and you don't know yet how old I am, you could figure it out. But I would appreciate you keeping it to yourself. 
And I would also encourage you not to even think about it. That's something that I've started to practice. I'm trying to avoid asking people how old they are or looking it up because I find myself doing it. And then I step back and think, if I don't want people to judge me for my age, why am I trying to put into context who somebody is based on how old they are? I find myself doing this whenever I'm getting into the comparison trap. I also, as I've talked about a few times, sprinkled in here and there, I started getting gray hairs. The very first gray hair I got was actually about 10 years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't thought about this. So it was in 2012. I remember where I was when I got my first that I knew of gray hair. I was at my friend's place in Massachusetts visiting her and I looked in the mirror and saw a gray hair, I think around here. There's a gray hair that's been coming out and I plucked it out and stared at it and I was like, oh my gosh, my first gray hair. And I was kind of in disbelief and I got worried that I was going gray, but actually I didn't start getting more gray hairs until about two years ago. So that was like, I don't know if that was a rogue hair I'm not sure, but it was around the COVID time that I started noticing more prominent gray hairs and I was plucking them out. You know what? It's possible it was a little before COVID, to be honest. Maybe it was 2019. doesn't really matter. But somewhere in the past two or three years, they started to pop up more and I started to have a lot of anxiety and I was plucking them out. Every day I would look in the mirror and I would pluck out my gray hairs. And then when COVID came around, I guess I felt more relaxed because no one was seeing me except on camera here. I remember for a while when I started doing the videos for the podcast, I would try to hide my gray hair when I was podcasting with Jason. And even when I have guests now, I was wearing my headphones, which kind of pull back my hair so you can't see any of it. It was fun and felt protected that way. And I haven't worn my hair down a ton recently. And part of that's because I find hair in general to be the least of my concerns. And I just don't like dealing with it. I don't like washing it. Like right now, my hair is a little on the greasy side if you're watching the YouTube video. So putting my hair up in a bun tends to feel like an easy way to not deal with it. But it also feels like an easy way to kind of conceal my gray hair. Well, right now on my YouTube video, which by the way, I just like to mention, I am months and months, like four months behind on posting YouTube videos, even more so I think I was in the habit of posting them over the fall of 2021. And then when Jason left the show, I had to take on so much more work to manage the show that the YouTube videos went on the back burner. I still record them for every single episode. And I just recently started posting clips for the guest episodes on Instagram, and eventually they'll go on TikTok too. But that's it. So there's a huge backlog. So if you're like, where is this video she's talking about with her gray hair? It probably won't be out for several months at the earliest. So thank you for your patience. If any of you want to volunteer to post my videos, that would be a good gift. I would love a volunteer to help. They're actually not that hard to do. It's just overwhelming. And when I get overwhelmed, I don't do it. I procrastinate. Anyways, right now, if I tilt my head down, you can see some of the gray hairs coming in. I mean, I've actually become very fascinated by gray hairs because they're like in certain areas of my hair more than others. And if you don't look very closely, you probably wouldn't even see them. The very first conversation I had with... 
a hairdresser about my gray hair happened this past week when I got my hair cut for the first time in a while. And I was nervous because I was seeing a new hairdresser and I was afraid that he was going to ask me about my gray hair. And he kind of did, but he did it in a really kind way, which was nice. I think he just asked if I'd ever colored my hair. And I said, no, or I said I used to then mentioned how I've been kind of thinking about it with my gray hair. And he said, well, you know, one thing you can do is do some highlights and that will just help them blend more into your hair. And that was it. It was very nice. And I got thinking about it. I kind of feel like growing out my gray hair is a rebellious act. And this really ties into ageism because the only reason I would dye my hair is to hide my age. The only reason I would dye my hair is so that people wouldn't judge me and think that I'm, quote, older than I am. I've had the privilege of looking younger than I am. People assume that I'm sometimes like 10 years younger than I actually am all the time. It's very rare that somebody thinks that I'm my age or thinks that I'm older than I am. And I think that's a privilege, right? Some of us just naturally through our genetics look younger. We're also in a time where people, especially women, seem to be fixated on looking younger. So dyeing hair has been a big thing for women especially. There's a lot of sexism too, which really bothers me. It's very rare that I see a man who dyes his hair. It is, to me, very common to see men with the salt and pepper hair and with the full-on gray hair. And societally, it just seems to be the norm. It seems to be not a big deal. Men generally, from my perspective, seem to be more concerned when they start to go balding. I know a lot of men are self-conscious about losing their hair, having less hair. But actually, as a woman who's attracted to and dates men, I don't care. I rarely think about a man's hair. It's not a attraction factor for me. I think maybe subtly I will notice it, but I have dated men who are balding. I have dated one guy immediately comes to mind who always wore a hat. And I remember like when he took off his hat around me, I was like, oh, he only had like hair around like the back of his head, I think. And it just wasn't a big deal. It was very attracted to him, like nothing to do with his hair, but I noticed it. That's all it was. And I just find it so fascinating that it's like such a common, common thing. In fact, it's abnormal, it seems, at least in the United States, for women to not dye their gray hair. And I think it's because there's so much pressure for women to look young. In addition to my hair, I do not want to be bothered with my appearance. It drives me nuts that there's so much pressure on women And men too. I'm trying not to make this a gender issue, but I just see this so much with women and people that identify as women to wear makeup, to do their hair, to pay attention to their clothes. Like there's just so, so much around looking younger. And I don't want to go through my life trying to be anything than who I am right now. I even think it's strange that I take some sort of pride in looking younger than I am. And maybe that's why the gray hairs are a little unsettling because I feel like this is the first time in my life where I've been afraid of looking older. It's like, oh, are people going to know that I'm not in that range? The truth is, though, is that women actually get gray hair at all different ages. I don't know statistically, but I certainly know that women get gray hair in their 20s. 
And it's hard to know that because so many of them dye their hair. So it makes me wonder how many women have gray hair, but you would just never know it because they're hiding it. I find myself thrilled when I see women with gray hair, especially women that I perceive to be around my age or younger. I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you for reducing this burden. Thank you for making it more normal. I even saw this woman at the trade show that I just came back from had fully dyed her hair gray. As far as I could tell, actually, I didn't talk to her. So maybe she did have full gray hair. She looked very young. So it looked like she made a more trendy decision to dye her hair like a silver. And Kim Kardashian did this a while back, maybe a year or two ago. I thought it looked really cool. And I was walking around this trade show with my friend and she pointed this woman out. She's like, I don't understand why someone her age would dye her hair gray. Like, why wouldn't she just wait till her hair goes fully gray? Why would she want to be gray any earlier than she needs to? And I thought that was such an interesting commentary because it's like, who cares? Why do we care so much? over what color hair people have, truly, or how much hair they have. Like, why do we put so much emphasis on this? Why do women put so much work into their face? I'm actually becoming increasingly perplexed by that. I feel like the more I pay attention to ageism and sexism and capitalism too, which is very tied into this, I notice a lot. And on platforms like TikTok, there are so many videos. This is true of any platform, but because I spend the most time on TikTok right now. I see it so much there. So many tips on our faces, how to get rid of wrinkles. Well, there's conversations around Botox. There are so many conversations around moisturizer. There's this big trending thing called slugging in which women put petroleum jelly all over their face at night and rave about how youthful their skin looks. It takes away the wrinkles and the dryness and whatever else adds vibrancy. There's a lot of talk around tools like the gua sha tool. I think that's how you pronounce it, which I think is amazing. I have one. I use it from time to time and the rollers and there's now electronic devices you can use. It's all about making your face look thinner and more youthful. And it's like, again, this obsession with thin, young appearance that really objectifies women. But men do it too, certainly. They do various things. And I know men that are really concerned with their age. They're concerned about wrinkles too, and they're concerned about looking old. And why is that? This is something I just think about because I'm not that concerned, to be honest. I don't need to dye my hair. The wrinkles are just not that big of a deal. I do not want to spend my time and money trying to change my appearance, just like I do not want to use filters online. I don't want to have to use special lighting. Why all of that stuff is expensive and time-consuming and exhausting and draining. I have a limited amount of energy. Do I want to have to work harder and longer to make more money so I can put that money and time into looking something that I'm not? Like If you really think about this cycle, this hamster wheel that we're on, it all actually feeds into it. We want to look younger to feel more accepted because maybe we'll feel more attractive and we'll get a partner. And what happens when you get that partner? People don't stop being concerned about how they look because now they're concerned about how their friends appear to them because maybe they feel like they have to have a certain status in order to maintain those friendships. But are they really friends if they only accept you because you look a certain way? 
Okay. Maybe you want to look a certain way to be accepted on social media. I'm concerned about that sometimes. I'm, my ego flares up and I'm afraid I look too old to be on TikTok, which is so dumb because who cares how old you are? Why is a platform limited to your age? Then we have the cycle of people being afraid of how they look for work. You're going to be rejected. I get concerned about the older I get, whenever I actually have to type in my age when applying for some campaign online, which I do less and less of these days, but I had to do it the other day. And it's like, oh, they're choosing people based on their age. So I could miss out on something because I might not fall into the age range that they want. The more I examine it, the more I believe that there are very, very little examples of when age truly matters. But we place so much emphasis on it that we've made it matter so much. So I want to dig into some resources that I've gathered. The number one resource is a book that I don't think I completed yet, but I actually went back to my notes today and realized I took a lot more notes than I remember taking. So I must have read much more of this book than I realized. It's called This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. I will link to it in the description if you have not been there before. There's a full transcript and links to every single resource I mention at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. In the podcast section, you'll find this episode and you can get links to it all. And the links tend to be affiliate links. So that's a way to support me. Again, if you want to get me a little gift to help me pay for things like a Jackery or an Oculus headset, not to say that that's the only reason I do it. It supports the business ultimately. But if you buy a book like This Chair Rocks or you get the Kindle version using the links in the description is a way to support my work. So that's over at wellevator.com. And it's a fantastic read. I love rereading my notes. So here are some of them, ways to discuss ageism. Ageism is a prejudice against our own future selves, as Todd Nelson and many other age scholars have observed, and has the dubious distinction of being the only ism related to a universal condition. I thought that was so fascinating. Sexism is limited to certain genders. Racism is based on different races. There's a lot of isms that we use. But ageism is something that we all experience. Truly, I think every human being, right, even if a human being does not have the privilege of living a long life, they are somehow put into categories, judged, just perceived in a way related to their age, babies. We believe certain things. We project certain things. We treat them differently because of their ages. And that's one of the very few ages in life because babies are so dependent on other human beings, it almost feels like it's in, very innocent, right? But I remember as a young girl being very aware of my age. So I believe our brains really start to develop. Even at young ages, we feel ageism. My mother used to say to me that I always wanted to be older. And I remember that. I wanted to grow up as quickly as possible because I felt limited based on my age. I wanted to be taken more seriously. I wanted access to new things. I wanted the freedom that a different age offered. What's interesting is that once we reach some of these ages, we then start to have the opposite feeling of wishing that we were younger. So it's a big paradox. And I think it's extremely constraining. 
one of my favorite quotes in this chair rocks is, wouldn't I be better off making peace with the passage of time than waging a battle no one could ever win? And that's so poignant because there's only two choices in life, and that's to live or die. Are they even really choices? My point being, we can't choose to be younger. We can't choose to be older. We just are. We can look forward to getting older like I did, but now I would probably be more excited to get younger than I am getting older, but I don't have the choice to go back. So we're either alive or we're dead. We just don't have control over those things. The book also says your life does change as you get older and you get into what's important and what's not. As we get older, we tend to move into jobs that suit us better, for example. We also have more time to figure out what we want to do with our lives, more time to accomplish it and share it we know, and more time to wind down with those we love. Those are all privileges, though, the privilege of time. And there's a really interesting thing I'm going to get to after sharing some of these quotes. There's a reference within this chair, Rocks, that I looked up and was really intrigued by, so stay with me on this. One section of the book that piqued my curiosity is how advertisements and movies, policies and bylaws, products and promotions have shaped our unconscious beliefs with one overarching method that old equals no good. And one of the reasons this book states is that conflict sells papers. So the media perpetuates the myth that intergenerational competition is inevitable. And people readily buy into it. And wow, that resonates with me deeply. It's not only the fears and the concerns and the stress that we feel about our age, but it is the way that we're pitted against each other based on other people's ages. TikTok, again, is a great example. I'm a millennial. That'll give you at least an idea of how old I am, <laughs> if you care. And there's so much controversy around millennials versus Gen Z and how Gen Zs think millennials are so old. There's tons of controversy around boomers. There's actually not a lot of people talking about Gen Y. I think is it Gen Y or Gen X. I forget what Gen Y is. Is Gen Y a boomer? I get those confused, but Gen X is before millennials, what I was trying to get at. I feel like they don't get a ton of flack. It's somehow the boomers, the millennials, and the Gen Zs that seem to be in the news. And it's all about pitting us against each other. And I love how this book is saying it's really just a form of capitalism. Like if we can create conflict that's not even really there, then it makes more money because somehow people feel superior, inferior, and we want to defend ourselves and we want to like place ourselves in these boxes for what? Is that really just a way? to sell us more, to create more rules, to create more limitations. Another really great point in the book is, what was the hardest prejudice to let go of? And I think the author said the prejudice was against themselves, their own future, their older self as being inferior to their younger self, which is nuts. Not only do we feel comparison to other people, but we feel comparison to ourselves And so many of us feel inferior to our younger selves. Crazy. When I look back on my younger self, she actually feels inferior to who I am now. But I would prefer not to compare. 
But what feels inferior is that I have learned so much and become so much more confident. I would rather be who I am right now than look younger, be younger. That was no advantage, a deep advantage. Maybe that was advantage in status. Maybe I looked more attractive to men. Who cares? My relationships, my true substantial relationships, hopefully had nothing to do with age. I was not chosen because of my age, to my knowledge. If I was, it's really disturbing. (laughs) But I'm sure I was rejected many, many times without even knowing it because of my age. I was either too young or too old for somebody. And that's so silly when you think about these dating apps, all the judgments, how many people limit. That's one of the number one things I would guess in a dating app is choosing an age range. But I know so many people who have dated people way older than them. I've dated a number of men younger than me and a number of men significantly older than me. I cannot say that any of those ages made much of a difference. Truly. It's so ridiculous. As someone quoted in the book, Robert Butler said, ageism allows the younger generations to see older people as different than themselves. Thus, they subtly cease to identify with their elders as human beings. Wow. We have gotten to a point where we cannot even connect with each other, which starts to remove our humanity. Absolutely insane to me. I just recorded an episode in advance. It's coming out next Monday about how triggered I get when things feel transactional. Because when something feels transactional, it doesn't feel human to me. It feels like a robot. And that's a big issue Right now, so many people use filters on social media in order to look younger or more attractive than they actually look or feel. So they're using technology to change themselves, to manipulate them so much that they're not even really themselves. So they're more like the technology than they are as a human. One of the big concerns people have about Web3, which I've spoken about recently, it's a big interest of mine. And a lot of people are concerned, Web3, by the way is a bit of an umbrella term for the blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, and the metaverse. If you don't know much about them, I have a separate podcast called Web3 with Whitney that's all about that. And you can always reach out to me and ask me. I'd be happy to help you understand it. And one thing that I think a lot about is concerns about the metaverse, this fear that we're going to be so digitized that we're not going to connect with each other as human beings. And what's so interesting in the context of this topic of ageism is wondering how much do we connect with each other as human beings? Even right now, I'm recording this on my computer and you are watching or listening to this on a device, all digital. We're already at a point where we've created divides amongst ourselves. So much of what we do spend our time on is through devices So in a way, we don't experience our humanity that much right now. I'm not going to get into the metaverse right now, but what's interesting about it is I actually think that we are so close, we are so much already there, and so many people are going to be excited about the metaverse. One of the perks of it is that we can enter into spaces and shape our appearance in the way that really resonates with who we are that has nothing to do with what we actually look like. So you can go into a metaverse and create an avatar that either is a human or an animal or another being, right? And you can just exist there knowing that everybody is representing themselves 
in a way that's not necessarily what they actually look like. And to me, I find freedom in that. And I think as humans right now, we're really yearning to be perceived without judgments. I don't know if that's ever possible, but in the context of this conversation, you could go into the metaverse and be a completely different age, older or younger. I used to do this actually when I was growing up. One of the things I experienced in my millennial age range was AOL, instant messenger and chat rooms. And I remember that you would go into these rooms and it was very common to lie about your age. (laughs) It's kind of innocent, but also a little disturbing because there were these chat rooms. You were interacting with strangers for maybe one of the first times. I mean, this is the early days. This is what they considered web one. We're in web two right now. So another way of understanding web three is it's just a different phase. That was web one as the internet was developing. AOL was a huge part of it. And the chat rooms were this fascinating realm to step into because you were talking with people anywhere in the world and you couldn't see them. So we didn't have profiles, I don't think. Maybe it was just like your username, but I don't think you could even click on it and read about people. So you would have some username. I don't think that you had a picture attached to it. That all is web two from my understanding. Web one was like you were just some anonymous person online and you would go into these chat rooms and it would say ASL, which would stand for age, sex, location. And that's the context in which you would meet these other strangers, which is also kind of bizarre. So I would make up my age. It would always be older than what I was because I wanted to be mature. And I would usually say I was female. I'm sure I sometimes said I was male. And then I probably made up my location. That was like me being safe. But my age was like the cool thing. And I remember being wise enough to know at that point that most people were lying. And I haven't really thought about like how the metaverse right now is shaped where you could easily lie about who you are in the metaverse, which might be dangerous, but it also might be very freeing because you could be anything you want to be versus in real life you're stuck with yourself. You could change your body through surgery. You can absolutely manipulate your hair and your makeup and your clothes to be perceived a little bit differently. But for the most part, we can't change ourselves that drastically. And we certainly can't change our actual age. But on the web, we can pretend to be what we really want to be. And I think that helps us feel more free. Little side note there. In the book, This Chair Rocks, another section is about discrimination and stereotyping, and so much of that happens with our age. We're ageist when we feel or behave differently towards a person or a group on the basis of how old we think they are. Like racism and sexism, ageism is not about how we look. It's about what people in power want our appearance to mean. Wow. Interesting, too. I mean, this is where some of the capitalism comes into play, which to me, the issues I have with capitalism tend to be around not treating each other as human. It's making it all about money. It's about that transactional side of things. I don't have an issue with making money, but I don't want to be either held back from making more money because of my appearance. I don't want to be making more money than somebody else because of who they are. That doesn't feel right. I don't want it to be a manipulation. I want it to feel fair. I want it to feel like everybody's basic needs and some of their desires at least are being met, right? But I think ageism comes into play a lot with money, but also comes into play with power. So many people feel more powerful because they're older or younger. 
it's very uncomfortable and it's something many of us go through and it's disturbing to me. This chair rocks. It says, we experience ageism anytime someone assumes we're, quote, too old for something, a task, a relationship, a haircut. That's kind of an interesting example. Instead of finding out who we are and what we're capable of. Ooh, I love that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you think of a time where somebody wasn't able to see you? It reminds me of The Voice. Have you ever watched that? I'm sure you at least know the concept if you haven't seen it, where all of the judges have their backs turned to the singer. They have no idea what the singer looks like, so they cannot make judgments based on their race, their gender, their sex, their appearance, their body size, on and on. They're just listening to their voices and what their voices are capable of. That, I think, is why that show is so powerful and so successful. But the show is also based on all those judgments because then the judges turn around and they make faces like, oh my God, I can't believe that voice came out of that body. It's kind of rude. And as the audience, a lot of us feel the same thing. And so the media perpetuates this. Like we're simultaneously finding joy in seeing what somebody is capable of regardless of their appearance but we're also judging them for their appearance because then we say things like, wow, I knew they were going to sound like that because they looked like they would sound like that or I had no idea they would sound like that because it doesn't look like they would sound like that. That's so judgmental, but that's how our society has been set up. And I'm sure it comes back to our roots as human beings, constantly judging things as a form of survival. But we're at the point where we don't need survival in the way that we used to need it as human beings. So it would be really nice if it could shift. This is also interesting. The book says that one of the reasons older women are invisible is because so many dye their hair to cover their gray. Meaning, I guess kind of two things that the way I interpret it is that we don't even realize that there are older women around because so many of them are masking their age to look younger, primarily through their hair. But it also feels like older people in general start to feel really invisible because society has shunned them so much. So let's just put them in a home. We may have not set up structure for them to be able to get around enough for us, for us to see them. And like, we just don't even see a lot of old people anymore unless they're family members. But it's also interesting, I think, mainly as female older women, that's what this piece says, we see a lot of older men, and if you take note of our government in the United States and many governments in general are run by older men. There aren't a lot of women there, but there are a lot of men, and a lot of them are old. Whatever old means, I even hesitate to say old because who even determines what old is? But it's interesting when you think about the gender side of it too. The book says that the status of older Americans is rooted not only in historic and economic circumstances, but also in deeply human fears about the inherent vulnerabilities of old age, the loss of mobility, visibility, and autonomy. Concealing or disavowing our age gives the number power over us that it doesn't deserve. Accepting our age, on the other hand, paves the way to acknowledging it with ease and even pride. That's how I would like to be. I unfortunately had an example of my mother who, for most of my life, has been so afraid to tell people her age that my sister and I don't even know how old our mom is. A lot of people are shocked when I share that, so I'm pausing 
for the shock effect. I don't know offhand how old my mother is. I don't know what year she was born. I have found out before. I mean, my sister literally had to sneak around and keep secret her mother's age. Barely even know my dad's age. My dad doesn't care as much. I think I know how old he is. But my mom, I'm not quite sure. I could only have a guess. And my mom seemed to have so much shame around her age. And I didn't understand it, I think, until I started to get gray hair and started to feel more aware of my age and dig into some of the ageism through my reading. And it makes sense that she's so afraid. My mom dyes her hair and loves using the beauty products. I mean, like it feels like my mom has hidden it because she's afraid of being judged and works so hard to look young. And it makes me sad because I would so much rather her feel proud of her age and go through life with more ease, but it just feels like it causes her so much stress. So I grew up taking that in. I didn't understand it, but I was being given this message over and over and over again by her and many other women around. But as women, we are so molded by the way that our mothers go about life that it sends this message to us over and over again. And for me, the message was, I should not be proud about my age. I should be afraid to age. I should conceal it. And as I've found myself hesitating to share my age with people, I often think of my mother and I'm like, I don't want to become somebody who's so afraid to share my age. But I also simultaneously don't want to talk about my age because I don't want to be put into a box. I don't want to be labeled. I mean, technically, knowing that a millennial puts me into a box, right? Part of me feels like I don't even want to talk about my generation because I'd rather not, not just for my generation, but it just doesn't matter. I start to cringe when I hear people categorize themselves in relation to me based on their age. I just want to completely shout to them, doesn't matter. I don't care how old you are. I don't want to care how old you are. The book says, there's no old slash young divide. We're always older than some people and younger than others. Since no one on the planet is getting any younger, let's stop using aging as a pejorative. And there's also a quote from Laurel Carlstenson. She's the director of the Stanford Center on Longevity, who says, Let's flip it around from one about growing older to one about living long. Maybe the perspective is what the word it stands for. And that's how I feel too. I want to feel proud of living a long life. I already do. I feel grateful. I do not take for granted the fact that I am alive right now, especially going through a pandemic. Many people have died in the past few years. Also right now, With everything going on in the Ukraine, people are dying. There is a war, I think. Sorry, I don't even know if war is the right word. Try to be very mindful with my language, but there is certainly a lot of discussion around war right now. And there's an invasion happening that are leading to the end of lives. So we should not take for granted any breath that we take, but we do. And we feel shame around our age and so much comparison around it. And it just breaks my heart. I want to just see the humanity in myself and others. This chair rocks mentioned something I had not heard of called the U-curve of happiness. So I looked it up and I want to dig into it a lot deeper. I found this article as a starting point at Inc.com, which I'll link to in the show notes. It is titled, 
Research shows people become increasingly unhappy until age 47.2, very specific. Here's how to minimize the negative effect of the happiness curve. So there was some research done at Dartmouth that found that in hundreds of thousands of people in 132 countries, they experience this inverted U-shape happiness curve. Starting at age 18, in general, our happiness levels begin to decrease and we reach peak unhappiness at 47.2 in developed countries and 48.2 in developing countries. People in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s are more likely to compare themselves to others and find themselves wanting. No matter how successful or well-traveled or social or educated or whatever your FOMO measures might be, there will always be someone who seems more successful. There will always be someone better or smarter or wealthier or seemingly happier. But then we gradually accept that failing to achieve every dream we once held dear isn't the end of the world and slowly start to focus more on enjoying what we do have than what we don't. The article does say that the good news is, is that happiness levels then gradually increase after 47. But the bad news is you're unlikely to feel as happy as you did when you were 18 until you're in your mid-60s. But that's pretty interesting, right? It's like, it seems to me, especially as a woman, we place so much emphasis on women who are 18, who are in their early 20s. But the truth is that's when, on average, people start to feel less happy. And it does feel like there's so much stress, especially on TikTok where I'm observing. I feel like it's my favorite body of research because you see so many people expressing themselves. And if I were to summarize the feelings that I get on TikTok, which is seemingly driven by millennials and Gen Z, it's a lot of unhappiness. It's a lot of people trying to prove themselves. It's a lot of people trying to change, sharing their suffering, feeling hopeless, doing things to cope. It doesn't feel very happy. I don't see a lot of people under the age of 18 that I know of. But even that, I mean, ugh, being like 14 to 18 felt miserable. <laughs> I would not really want to go back to those ages where my body's changing, where I've got hormones raging, where I'm in school and unhappy and dealing with awkward social situations. I mean, I do not have a lot of very positive memories. The positive, though, was having fun. I do reflect back on the fact that our society accepts like young girls running around and yelling and screaming and dancing. Like that's the sort of stuff I did in that age range. I wasn't really into drinking or drugs. So it was just me and my friends doing goofy things. But I was also really trying to find my way. I had major crushes on boys who never seemed to like me back. I was trying to figure out how to wear makeup because I felt like I needed to and what clothes I needed to buy and felt so uncomfortable and awkward. I was trying to figure out who I was and where I was going to college. So I spent all these years leading up to 18, generally feeling like I needed to change and be different or better or just not feeling comfortable and wanting to be older and mature. 
And then I get to 18, and according to the study, that's where my unhappiness began. <laughs> the article in Inc.com did end with something positive that I wanted to share, which was the difference between what we can control versus what we can't. So we can't control aging. A lot of us having all these concerns around goals and dreams, but this gradual acceptance we start to have and focusing on enjoying what we do have versus what we don't is part of our control. And this happiness curve is apparently a natural phenomenon, although I want to go do a little bit more research to see people. I think I found one that shared a different perspective than this research that I have not read yet. But we can reduce the impact of this natural phenomenon on our life by taking a few steps that science proves will make you feel happier. And actually, I think this is really good core advice. It's always worth sharing for anytime we feel stressed and unhappy. Number one is having a few close friends, and they even emphasize the word close. They share a study that was actually done not far from where I grew up in Massachusetts that geographically close friends have the greatest effect on our happiness which is interesting given what I was talking about. Virtual friends can be great. Distant friends are great. But apparently, the closer your friends are to where you live, the better. So finding at least one near you is key. Number two is to start comparing yourself to yourself. If we look hard enough, we can always find someone who seems happier, especially if we're looking on social media. We can find someone that always seems more successful, more fulfilled, more something, But if we compare ourselves to ourselves through our goals, that's the only comparison that matters. But I will say, I wish they put the caveat that comparing ourselves to our younger selves, probably not so great for our happiness. So I don't know, even comparison to ourselves is kind of hard. I don't know if that brings me happiness. I kind of disagree with that, but I have to think more about it. Number three is to help other people. While giving helps other people, it also helps you. In fact, research shows that providing social support may be more beneficial than receiving it. Ooh, I love that. It's not only fulfilling, it reminds us of how comparatively fortunate we are. I like that, but it's also the comparison. Like, oh, I'm helping you, so I must be more fortunate than you because you need help and I don't. (laughs) I don't know. You got to dig in and think about that one more. I wouldn't want to help someone just so I can feel better about myself because I don't need help. And the fourth and final advice is to express gratitude every day, which I'm sure you've heard of before, but it seems to be one of the top pieces of advice. And it's often about saying grateful things to yourself and to others, to write things down that you're thankful for at least once a week, and just really focusing on what you do have. And I think that's a good note to end on. What if on my birthday today for you, but for me, as of the time of this recording, my birthday is a week away. So what if I reflected in this next week about everything that I'm grateful for, not from a comparison, but just to be in a place of gratitude? That sounds like a nice way to spend my birthday too. That's, I think, also a nice way to receive a happy birthday message. What if instead of just saying happy birthday to somebody, what if we wrote down a specific thing that we're grateful about them? It's like if you ever want to write a really good birthday card or a post online, getting very specific. How has that person benefited your life? What do you love most about them? And we can do the same for ourselves too. I also just love that point in this chair rocks 
about what people are capable of. We can focus on that too and get away from these statements about getting older. Even the jokes around it, I feel like they're usually very innocent, but so many birthday cards center around the age. Even celebrating a birthday, it kind of gives me pause too. It's an interesting tradition. It's like the one time a year where we feel like we're special. (laughs) But what's interesting is one of my friend's daughters was born on my birthday two years ago. She's turning two on my birthday. And here I am stating her age for some context. I don't even know why. But I started to feel weird about that because my friends forgot it was my birthday the last two years. Like I remember the day she was born. I had to remind them it was my birthday too. And I, not to like compete with their daughter, the birth of her daughter, but like they lost all awareness of a day that they probably more easily remembered in the past. And I'm supposed to go to her birthday party this year. And I found myself feeling like annoyed that we'd be celebrating her. <laughs> so silly. But it was like, no, that's my birthday because it doesn't feel special anymore. It feels like because of their daughter. And that's just about them and their dynamic and being new parents, I suppose. But it was just kind of a funny thing that came up for me. And then I thought, that's so silly. I don't need my birthday is not that big of a deal. But for a child, the birthday is such a big celebration. So I can quietly celebrate my birthday, but loudly celebrate hers. What if I celebrate internally? Doesn't have to be extroverted. I don't need to remind people it's my birthday. The only reason I might need to do that is because my birthday falls on a Monday and I block the day off from meetings. So I may say to some of my clients, like, hey, I'm taking the day off to celebrate my birthday. But even then, some people don't even do that. I have the privilege of doing that because I make my own schedule with freelance clients. But in the past, when I used to actually go into an office, I didn't get to skip out of work because it was my birthday unless I had planned vacation. So I don't know. Birthdays are interesting. I'll I'll end this there. And they've given me a lot of opportunities to think about ageism. And I am very curious what you think. So if you would like to share, you're welcome to wish me happy birthday. I just would like to remind you that I may like heart. It depends where it comes from, right? One thing I like about Instagram messages is so easy to heart things. So I'll heart it. I always feel like a sense of guilt because like it feels like such a superficial way to acknowledge someone. But on my birthday, I want to do minimal effort. So there's that. But I mainly would love to just hear from you. How do you feel about birthdays? How do you feel about yours and other people's? Do you like to celebrate? And also, what is this episode brought up for you in terms of ageism? How have you experienced it? Have you thought about it? How does it appear in your life, even with other people? And do you have any other resources? I'd love to read them too. As mentioned, The article and the book that I referenced are in the show notes for this episode. There's a comment section there if you'd like to leave comments. And you can also find my contact information if you want to send me an email, a direct message, a comment on social media. All of that is at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Got a wonderful guest lined up as usual this Friday. Actually, this one's especially Great. This one really touched. I'm looking at the schedule right now and seeing who's coming up. For, I'm excited about every guest on the show, but whenever I see like the, who the next guest is, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for you to listen. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy it. I love hearing from you. I'd love to connect. 
And I'm wishing you all the very best with your life. If your birthday has happened anytime soon or is coming up, happy birthday to you. I hope you are full of gratitude and I'll be back again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 